You're listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. We are wrapping up a three-week series today called Not Yet. If you have not been here for the last couple of weeks, or maybe this is your first time at DCC, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Andrew Petrush. I'm the administrative pastor here at DCC, and uh, Pastor Rocky asked me several uh, weeks ago, well, it's probably months ago now, to, to do a three-week series to give him some margin so that he can focus some efforts on writing a book that God has placed on his heart. And so we're excited to see that come to fruition. And so uh, as I've had the opportunity to preach the last couple of weeks, I am going to wrap up the series that we've been in, as I said, called Not Yet. Uh, and what this whole series is based on, what this whole thing is, is kind of hinging on are these seasons in our life where we find ourselves that, that God doesn't say no to something that we're asking him for. God's not saying no to a blessing. He's not saying no is the answer to a prayer, but it's just not happening yet. It's not a no, it's just a not yet. And these not yet seasons that we find ourselves in, these waiting seasons are usually longer than we expect them to be. And they're usually also more difficult than we expect them to be. But God has amazing things to do in our lives during these seasons. And so we've been discussing and, and, and looking at the purpose for these not yet seasons in our life. In week, in week one, we focused in on the Israelites and how the promise from God was the promised land for them. But God, when he delivered them from captivity in Egypt, he led them away from the promise, quite literally away from the promise in a season of waiting for them to learn, for them to be taught. And we talked about how in our seasons of waiting, that is one of the purposes that God has for us, to learn, to allow him to teach us his ways. And then last week we talked about Abraham and how he had a 25-year wait from the time that he was promised a son until the time that promise was fulfilled. And in all of that time, God was strengthening his faith. And that's what God wants to do in our waiting seasons. God wants to strengthen our faith so that when we receive that promise as Abraham did, that we don't have our faith in the promise, that we have firmly put our, our faith in the promise, sir. And so today we're going we're gonna to mix it up a little bit. It's still not yet. But I realize that today is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week, and that means that a week from today, we'll be right here in this very room celebrating an empty tomb and a risen Savior together. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about it. And I hope that you'll all join us and bring some people with you to be a part of that day, and we can't wait to celebrate that. But as we enter into Holy Week, traditionally what we do is we focus. We, we take time to focus in remembrance, in celebration of the cross, of the, of, of the empty tomb, of all of the things that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And, and although I'm not going to preach necessarily about Palm Sunday directly, what I want to do is look into the life of Jesus. Before there was a Good Friday and before there was Easter Sunday, there was preparation that he had to walk through and that he had to go through. And so that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. And so today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that it is powerful. I thank you that it is living and that it is active. And so, God, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts today. Challenge us, God. I pray that you'd bring comfort to us through your Holy Spirit and illuminate those places in our lives and in our hearts where we need that truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, um, I've had the privilege of knowing Pastor Rocky for uh, 22 years now. We were just counting this up the other day. We were trying to figure out the first time that we met. 22 years. I was 10 years old when I first met uh, Pastor Rocky McKinley. Um, that's not true. But we met because we were, uh, I-, I was in an internship, a youth ministry internship, pursuing youth ministry, pursuing the, the call on my life to be a youth pastor at that time. And I was in Clearwater, and Pastor Rocky was a youth pastor in, uh, in Tampa, just right across the bay at a church called University Church. So um, we knew each other back then in, in our early days, back at, as, as Pastor Rocky referred to the first service, the turn of the century, which is not an exaggeration, at the turn of the century. And so we've, been, we've known each other for a long time. If you do the math on that, obviously, um, you know, it goes way, way, way back before the DCC days. And so we've been friends long before we ever worked together. Um, and, and I remember that there was, there was one day that, um, you know, I, I was just, I was hungry for anything that I could learn to be great at youth ministry. It was my goal in life. That was my drive at that time. And so I was just kind of like a sponge. I was, I was learning from anybody that would tell me or teach me anything about youth ministry. And so one day I found myself at Pastor Rocky's office. And, and that day in particular, we had kind of set aside for him to teach me Photoshop. So everything I know about graphic design, he taught me. So you're welcome or sorry. I don't know whichever one. But um, and so I remember going to his office, and, and honestly, I have, to, I have to kind of prepare you, because youth pastors' offices are a strange place. They just are. Because youth ministry is kind of a strange thing. It really is. Like, you are shepherding the hearts of middle schoolers and high school. It is a great honor to do that. However, you are also trying to capture the attention of prepubescent children, and so it is a struggle, like it is a tension that is filled with a lot of crazy opposite things. And so it was not uncommon in my years in youth ministry, because I was a youth pastor for a long time, it was not uncommon for you to come into my office and see theology books on the shelf and a blender sitting in the corner that I blended up a Happy Meal the night before and had a kid drink at youth group just to get everybody's attention, right? Please don't call any governing authorities about that. It was... And so just cra- that's just kind of the world that you live in. And so when I visited Pastor Rocky's office, I remember seeing some of these, you know, differences of, of items in there. And so I looked up on the shelf and, of course, Bibles, you know, a lot of Bibles on the shelf. And I looked over on the floor and there was a hubcap because his youth ministry was called the garage. And so everything was themed with car parts all over the place. And so there was all these different things. But one thing that stood out to me when I visited his office was this quote that was printed and, and posted up. And this quote is something that at the time I I had never heard it before and I loved it and I kind of adopted it as a mantra for my life. It made a lot of sense for me as I was preparing to go into youth ministry as a full-time occupation and and to kind of answer that call on my life and with all of the, the chaos that swirls and surrounds youth ministry. And the quote said this, it's better to sweat 
in preparation than bleed in battle. Has anybody heard this quote or a form of this quote? Nobody. Awesome. I've introduced you to it. Thank you, Pastor Rocky. But um, this quote has been around for a while. I believe that in, in a little bit of research, this started and originated as a Norman Schwarzkopf quote. And his quote said something more like, it's, blood, it's better to, uh, to sweat in peace than to bleed in war. And I, I get that. However, alliteration just speaks better. And so um, preparing in, or uh, sweating in battle or sweating in preparation, I'll get there, um, is better than to bleed into battle. And this is just a quote I've lived my life by, honestly. Like I have, I have as I've gotten older, I've leaned more into it, um, almost into the over-prepared side where I will try to make sure that every little detail is taken care of. Like if, like maybe some of you are like me and before you go on a road trip, I mean, everything is done taken care of, not just like the day before, but in your mind it was taken care of three weeks ago because you're already starting to plan and prepare for that because we like to to prepare, to prepare. I'll get there. Y'all pray for my mouth, apparently. Doesn't want to catch up with my brain. But we like to prepare. I like to prepare. And some of you aren't wired that way, but I do believe that there is power in preparation. And as we're ending this series where we're talking about those seasons and those moments of life where God leads us into places that are not necessarily all that comfortable, and when God leads us into these places where there is a promise attached to it, but we're in this season of waiting, we're in this season of not yet, I believe that one of the things that God wants to do in our lives as we look through the Israelites to teach us, as we look through Abraham to strengthen our faith, but today I believe that God wants to prepare us. I believe that those times that we walk through in our lives of that not yet, that in-between, that God wants to use that time to prepare us. And, and leading up to our text that we read in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is led out into the wilderness, we find that all before this text, we find that Jesus has essentially been spending his entire life preparing and being prepared for what he was going to walk into because after this, he walks directly into the full-time ministry that we read about all throughout the Gospels. When he was going around teaching and preaching and healing people and doing miracles and having disciples follow him, that's the, the Jesus that we read about in the majority of the Gospels because there's really not a lot about his younger years. There's a whole section on his birth. And there's a little bit about when he was a kid and a little bit when he was a kind of a young teenager. And then all of a sudden, we're brought up to speed with Jesus's life when he's 30 years old. And so there's kind of a little bit of a gap to where we can't find a lot of details in God's word about the life of Jesus, but there are some things that we can fill in, some blanks that we can fill in knowing what we know about Jesus through the gospel writings in the New Testament. And so we know that he was commonly referred to as a rabbi. And a rabbi at that time was a teacher, someone who was very well-learned, someone who had gone through education and was very well-educated and didn't just know things about the Bible, the Old Testament, didn't just know things about the law and scripture, but was able to teach those things as well. And so that was a very highly respected position and title, a place of authority in Jesus's time. And so we know that if he was considered a rabbi, then there was a lot of training that went along with that. In fact, we know from historical evidence that around the age of five years old, he would have been starting school. And school for us at five years old is kindergarten, and we're learning our numbers and letters. School at five years old in uh, antiquity, in, in Jewish culture at that point, was they were starting to memorize the Bible. Literally, they were starting to memorize the Torah. They were starting to memorize the written word of God. And so they would spend their entire 
uh, school life, school educational career, learning and memorizing. And the reason that they memorized is because writing utensils were a luxury back then, and so there weren't a lot of people that could write, and so there were not a lot of scribes. And so they would teach these young men that were Jews to memorize the Bible. And if they were up to the task, and if they could cut it, then they continued to advance in their education. And so that we know by the time that Jesus reaches this place in his life, more than likely he has memorized the entire Old Testament at 30 years old. Anybody else feel like a slacker yet, right? At 30 years old, he has memorized, he has prepared his whole entire life from the time that he was five years old, he started to prepare for what God was going to lead him into. And we know that Jesus, of course, is divine. We know that Jesus is God. So he is all God, but he is also all man at the same time. And so it's not like Jesus was just born on this earth and then automatically had the whole Bible up to that point, all of scripture memorized. He had to put in the work and the time to do that. And so he spent... All of this time, all of these 30 years, preparing by learning all of these things. And in the scriptures, we find the rhythms of God. And so he was learning, not just committing to memory, but he was learning about his heavenly father. He was learning about the rhythms. He was learning about the kingdom of God, as he would call it, over and over and over through his teachings in the New Testament. He had spent all of this time preparing up until 30 years old for a three-year stretch of ministry where he would teach and preach and have disciples and all of those things. He spent his whole life preparing for that ministry and all of that preparation kind of crescendos into this moment that is recorded in Matthew chapter three, right before the text that we just read. In Matthew chapter three, there's this moment where Jesus is is ready to step into his earthly ministry. This is the time that he's gonna do what he came to do and, and essentially start his ministry to end that ministry by dying and shedding his blood for you and for me. And so he's ready for this time, and so he finds John the Baptist as he's baptizing people in the Jordan River, and after a little bit of arguing back and forth because John didn't feel worthy to baptize Jesus, he finally baptizes Jesus in this holy moment that's recorded in Scripture in Matthew chapter 3. And Jesus goes under the water, and when he comes up, they, the, 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 it reads that the Holy Ghost descends like a dove onto Jesus. So the Holy Ghost is there. God the Holy Ghost is there, and then God the Son is being baptized, and then there's the words of God the Father in verse 17 of Matthew 3. This is my Son, whom I loved. With him I am well pleased. I mean, you talk about the perfect moment to to capture all of the momentum of 30 years of preparation, this holy moment where Jesus has essentially been confirmed that this is, God is saying, this is my son. He is who we have waited for. Now it's time to launch out into ministry. But what we see is that that's not God's plan, at least not yet. Because this not yet, even though it's a little bit different, this was a not yet for Jesus. This would have made sense to us, but as we've searched through the scriptures these last few weeks, God rarely leads us the way and in the timing that we would expect him to lead us, but it's always the way that he wants us to go because he is perfect. His timing is perfect in our lives. But unlike the last couple of stories that we've looked at, where we looked at the Israelites waiting on a promise, we looked at Abraham waiting on a promise, they were, they were drawn out, they were led out into the unknown, into those not yet seasons, waiting for that promise, but Jesus was led out into the wilderness because he is the promise. 
You see, it's, it's not that, that he was waiting on a promise to be fulfilled. He was the fulfilled promise. He was the often prophesied about. Over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He had been talked about and, and, and promised for years and years and centuries and generations. Talked about the promise of a coming savior, the promise of a coming king, the promise of the Messiah who was going to be our savior. This is the promised one. This is the Messiah, and so God didn't lead him out into the wilderness to wait on a promise. God led him out into the wilderness because he is that promise. And the magnitude of the season that Jesus was about to walk into was intense. I mean, at every turn, you read through the gospel accounts of when he would go around healing and teaching, every turn that he made, there was someone else, some religious elitist who was combating him or trying to get him to slip up or trying to get him to make a mistake or even worse, trying to get him imprisoned or trying to execute him at every single turn and all because he was challenging their influence in the community. Essentially, people were upset because people liked Jesus' teaching better than they liked the other one's teaching. And so they were, they were angry about it, and they were always trying to push against him. This is what Jesus was about to be up against. And then not just that, not just that he was, he was being pushed back from the, the people around him, but Jesus shows up, and Jesus, being all God and all man, starts speaking about this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God, and how this is very different than the ways that we're used to seeing things. In fact, everything is basically upside down. The more we serve, the more influence we have, and all of those kind of things. And the kingdom of God is not a popular subject with the enemy. And so not only does Jesus have to deal with the, the, the onslaught of the religious elite coming at him and trying to arrest him and execute him at every corner, but, but he also has to deal with the demonic influence. He also has to deal with the enemy himself and the opposition that he brings. And so Jesus, after all of this preparation, 30 years after being baptized, he knows, or God knows that he's about to walk into this season, this three-year stretch of opposition and challenges. So again, you would think that it would make sense for him to come right up out of the Jordan and right into ministry, but God gets him right out of the Jordan and leads him right into the wilderness. See, the wilderness has extreme significance in Scripture. The wilderness all throughout, especially the Old Testament, is this place for intense experiences of reliance on God. To mention Moses again, Moses is in the wilderness when God shows up to him through a burning bush and, and downloads the plan for the emancipation of the Israelites, this huge ask that there's no way that Moses can do on his own. And so there is a reliance that is found in the wilderness for Moses. And then the Israelites, the Israelites are 40 years of this wilderness experience where there is reliance being built into them because every single day they have to trust that when they wake up, there's gonna be manna and there's gonna be quail. They have to trust that God will lead them to water or provide water for them just to survive. And then Abraham, as he leaves his hometown, as he leaves everything he knows to depend on God because he's literally waiting on God to give him directions. He's waiting on God to tell him where he is supposed to go. And so there's intense experiences of reliance in the wilderness because the wilderness is not just geographical. The wilderness is theological. You see, the word wilderness that we read in Matthew chapter four in Greek is Eremos. And Eremos is a word that is actually, um, that, that started, it has roots, if I could do a little bit of etymology real quick. So it has roots in the Hebrew language. And so in the Hebrew language, the word for wilderness or desert is midbar. 
This is the word that was commonly referred to when Moses was in the wilderness, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. This was a common use for that word. And this very word, this this Hebrew word that means wilderness or desert, this concept of this is derived from another Hebrew word, which is debar, which is a verb in this sense, and it means to speak. And so the word for wilderness is actually derived from the word for to speak. And so what we see here is that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, not just to be tempted, but so that God could speak to Jesus. Jesus went to the midbar so that God could debar. You see, God brings us into the wilderness so that he can speak to us because there are so many distractions in our life that sometimes he has to get us out of routine. Sometimes he has to get us out of where we are comfortable and lead us into wilderness seasons so that we'll pay attention and cut out all of the distractions and listen to him. But so many times when we find ourselves in the wilderness, we think that we are far away from God, don't we? When we find ourselves in a situation, maybe that's how you would describe where you are today. Maybe that's the best description that you could put on it is, I don't know, and and maybe it's you've been following Jesus. Maybe you stepped out in faith and did something that you know God called you to do, and now you feel like you're further away from God than when you said yes to the call that he had for your life. We know that Jesus was making the right choices. Jesus was led by the Father. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, and so we have to expect in our lives that there are gonna be times when we say yes to God, that he's gonna lead us into places that we do not expect. We have, to, we have to understand that there's gonna be times when we say yes to Jesus and following Jesus that that's gonna lead us into wilderness seasons. And we have a tendency to look around in the wilderness and say, God, where are you? Like I said yes to you and now you're nowhere to be found because it feels lonely sometimes in those wilderness seasons. But God does not bring us out into the wilderness to keep us separate from him. God actually does the opposite. God brings us into wilderness seasons so that we can know how close he is to us. God will will remove some things that we lean on, some things that we depend on to help us understand that we need to depend on him and listen for his voice because we are a very distracted people, aren't we? It's hard to hear God's voice sometimes in our life because there are so many other things going on and there are times that it takes us being a little uncomfortable and in some unfamiliar territory to allow us to focus on hearing God's word to us without distraction. I have found in my life that I have become very dependent upon my phone while I drive. Now, let me clarify, because I know so many of you just got super offended. Not in my hand, not texting while I'm driving. I rely on the Maps app in my phone a lot. And I don't know if you're like this as well, but I plot out almost everywhere that I go. It used to just be when I went to a place I didn't know. Now I know that that, that map feature, that app, will help me make sure that I do not have to deal with any traffic, and that is a gift from the Lord. I'm just telling you. And so it is not uncommon for me to get in the car, even if I know the way that I'm going, to go ahead and just, you know, pop it in GPS and put the phone up and then not touch it while I'm driving and then, you know, follow that because it's going to give me some, you know, turn by turn to help avoid some, some roads. But I'll be honest with you, if I know where I'm going, unless it's, it's giving me alerts and telling me to go this way because there's traffic this way, I'm, I'm casually just kind of observing it. I'm not really paying close attention to it. Because I know, I know the roads. I know that if I needed to take a shortcut, I could go down this road and catch that other road. I know the area, I know the roads, I know the direction, and so I don't really rely on that GPS all that much. But that all changes when I end up in a place, a city that I don't know, with roads that I am not familiar with and that I do not know the names of, and places that I have to get to, I become 
extremely reliant on that phone at that point. And I'm looking, depending, praying, hoping that it will give me the right directions. I'm listening to everything it tells me to do. You want me in the middle right lane? I will do the middle right lane right now. And I will get there. I will do everything that it says to do. And then when it comes time to make those, those turns on those roads where I'm having to figure out which road is which, I do what we all do is I tell the kids to be quiet. And what do I do? I turn down the radio because I can read street signs better when the radio is off. It's a scientific unproven fact. But we do, right? I can't, I can't, I can't, I don't know where I am if I don't turn the radio down, right? But it makes sense. We rely on that more when we don't know where we are or where we're going. And the point of the wilderness, when God draws us and leads us into those wilderness seasons, we are in unfamiliar territory. And the idea for God, what he wants to do is for us to rely on him for every turn, for every word, for everything that we're going to do. It's unfamiliar for us. We don't know where to go because God hasn't told us where to go yet. And so he draws us into these places that are uncomfortable and uncharted territory because he wants us to depend on him. And when we do that, we have a tendency to turn down the noise of all the other things in our life because we're really, really, really relying on him. Have you ever needed direction for something very important in your life? It's amazing how many things you can cut out of your life when you need God to speak right now. When you have to make that decision today about what's happening tomorrow, it's amazing how you will carve out all kinds of time. You will cancel all kinds of plans and you will turn off all kinds of TV shows and you will, you know... All of those things that we do to carve out that time. Sometimes God brings us into these wilderness seasons so that we'll understand we've got to turn off the noise. We've got to turn off the distractions because God is always speaking, but we have a hard time listening when everything around us is so incredibly loud. And God wants to use those times, those times that he draws us into the wilderness where it's uncomfortable and we're relying on him, he wants to use those times to speak to us because he wants to prepare us for what's coming ahead. We do not know what's coming up. We don't know what's gonna happen as soon as we walk out this door today, but God does know. And God wants to bring us into these wilderness seasons so that he can show us and teach us and speak to us in these moments when things are quiet and clear. You see, the wilderness is not a place or a season to be despised. In fact, it's, it's a season to be embraced. It may feel dry, and it may feel lonely at times, but honestly, it's when God can speak to us in ways that cannot be replicated in other places in our life. And so if you're in that place and that's how it feels for you, it feels just dry, it feels lonely, it feels like God's a million miles away, it feels unfamiliar, I have an encouragement for you today. Embrace it. Embrace it because what God has done is he's led you there to be close to you and for him to be able to speak to you. And so I think it's pretty obvious that God draws us into, he leads us as he led Jesus into the wilderness, into these wilderness seasons to listen to his voice. The question that we have to wrestle with, the thing that we have to answer for ourselves is what are we doing in those wilderness seasons? Not like, God, what am I doing in this season? I mean like, what am I doing in this season? What am I doing to make sure that while I'm in this wilderness season, I am doing everything that I can to hear God's voice in my life. Because for Jesus, how it looked is that when he was led into the wilderness, what did he do? He fasted and he prayed. Most of us, when we're led into the wilderness, we complain and then we try to control. I'm gonna complain about the wilderness. I'm gonna complain that God's not anywhere near me. I'm gonna do all these, and then I'm gonna try to make sure that I manipulate this season to be as comfortable as possible for me because we are creatures of comfort. 
And so I'm gonna try to manipulate all these things. And when we do that, what we do is we, we remove the opportunity for God to speak into our lives because we're not allowing that voice to be loud in our lives. We're turning up the noise. And so we're not hearing what God is trying to say to us and we're missing out on what God needs to do in our lives to prepare us in those moments. Because listen, God knows exactly what's coming up in our lives. He knows what's around the next corner and he knows what you need. He knows what I need to defeat the enemy at the next turn. We don't even know what enemy lies at the next turn and he already knows what we need to defeat that enemy. He already knows what needs to be on the inside of us to get through that temptation, to get through that season, to get through that wilderness experience and God's got us in the wilderness to show us those things. You see, God knew every hardship that was in store for his son Jesus before it happened. At 30 years of age, as Jesus is wandering in the wilderness, fasting and praying, God already knows how the story ends, but God already sees all of the challenges that are coming up. God already knows that at every corner there are gonna be people that wanna take him out, discredit him. He knows that there are gonna be people that are gonna try to arrest him and stone him. There was gonna be a demon on every corner trying to discredit him and disprove him. But God also knew that Jesus would be tempted in the coming years as well. He knew that there were challenges that were going to come at Jesus, but, but God knew that there were temptations that Jesus was going to face as well in his earthly ministry. The reality is, is that there were temptations, I'm sure, that Jesus faced to, to use his miracle-working power for selfish gain or to circumvent earthly authority because, after all, he was royalty, right? To allow his divinity to overcome his humility and kind of feed into his vanity. And God knew all of those things and God knew about the temptations that were waiting for him in the wilderness at the end of that 40 days as well. But you see, the purpose of the temptations in the wilderness was not to question Jesus's authority or power, but it was rather to reveal it. You see, God led Jesus into the wilderness in the season of fasting and prayer, not to make the foundation crack and crumble, but instead to reveal to Jesus and to reveal to the world what was on the inside, to reveal the preparation that had taken place, to reveal how much God has, had, had put and invested into his life and into his heart at that moment. And that's an important thing for us to realize and to recognize. Because if we don't know why God led Jesus, the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness, then we don't know why God leads us out into the wilderness either. But the reality is, is that God leads us into the wilderness. Sometimes there's temptation that, that comes with that. It's not to break us. It's not, it's not so that we'll fail. It's not so that we'll crumble. It's so that his power in us can be revealed through those temptations. But we've got to allow him to prepare us in the wilderness seasons. See, I used to read this scripture all the time, and I thought, man, right after Jesus is baptized, God, the, the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. That's cold. That is cold, man. Like, how would you do that? How could you do that to your son? You lead him out right after this moment where you say, this is my son. I'm well pleased. Now go out there by yourself for a while. It doesn't fit. It's hard for me to reconcile until we realize the timeline. Because God led, the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days of prayer and fasting. Essentially, the Holy Spirit led Jesus out to get a 40-day head start on the devil. 
You see, we look at it as this, this one event that all happens at the same time, but Scripture clearly says that at the end of those 40 days, Jesus was hungry, and that's when, G- then when the devil started to tempt him. Jesus was led out there early. He was led out there ahead of time. He was led out there for 40 days of prayer and fasting to prepare for those temptations that the devil was going to bring at him. And so when the devil comes and he shows up in this epic duel, this battle out in the wilderness of Jesus and the devil, and the devil challenges Jesus' sonship, he challenges his humility, he challenges his divinity. And in that moment, Jesus might have been weak in his body. He might have been hungry. He might have been tired. But listen, he was ready. He was prepared because of what had happened all of those 30 years and especially what happened in those 40 years days of not yet in the wilderness. And at every temptation, Jesus, having been prepared in the wilderness for this moment, rejects every single attempt that the enemy tried to throw at him. He quotes scripture that he memorized when he was five years old at the synagogue. When Jesus is is questioned about his sonship, because that's how the devil does it, right? He said, if you are the son of God, really trying to, to plant doubt in there. And the devil has no new tactics, no new schemes. He uses the same thoughts that he plants in our head. If that really happened, or if you wanna go all the way back to the beginning and creation, are you sure that God said not to eat of any tree in the garden, except for, not to eat any tree in the garden except for this one? See, the devil's using the same exact questions in our mind. Are you sure that's what God said? Are you sure that that prayer is really gonna get answered? Are you sure that God is who he says he's gonna be in your life? So every single time that that happens, Jesus' is, is rebuttal is, is scripture because he's memorized that. He's prepared for this moment. When he comes against Jesus' sonship, if you really are the son of God, Jesus has all of this preparation because he's just spent 40 days listening in this environment that is tuned perfectly to hear his father's voice. He leans on the strength that was instilled in that wilderness experience, and he stands strong in the face of the enemy because he'd been prepared for that moment. And so when God draws us into the wilderness seasons of our life, he's drawing us close because he wants to speak to us, because he wants to prepare us, because the enemy is prowling around. The enemy is the same enemy that he was 2,000 years ago that he is right now today, and God wants us to be prepared because he knows what we need to defeat the enemy before we even know what the enemy is going to bring to us. Hebrews chapter four and verse 15 says that, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You see, there's the difference. As we wrap up this morning, there is the difference between us and Jesus. There is the difference between our humanity and the divinity of God, the divinity of Jesus in this moment, is that he was tempted in every way, that we are tempted in every category, in every way imaginable. He was tempted in all of those ways. And I know, I know that your mind is racing to be like, well, he was never tempted like this because they didn't have this when I, you know, 2,000 years ago. In the same category, in the same way, Jesus was tempted by all the ways that we're tempted. The difference is, is that he never crumbled. The difference is, is that he never gave in to that temptation where you and me, we've failed and we've messed up and we've gone the opposite direction in those wilderness seasons. We've gotten impatient and we've gone ahead of God and we've done all these things that we're not proud of in our past. Jesus didn't have that. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are so that we can look to him as a prototype for our life, that we can look to him as an example and understand he never got it wrong so we can put our faith in him because he will never let us down. And so thank God that Jesus got it right. 
Thank God that in the wilderness, in those, after those 40 days of prayer and fasting, thank God that Jesus did not crumble. Thank God that he was listening to God's voice in the desert, in the wilderness, so that he was ready, so that he was prepared when the devil would come up against him time and time and time again. Because the reality is, is that our salvation hung in the balance that day in the wilderness. You see, if Jesus would have given in on any of those temptations, the plan for redemption for our life is done because it needed to be a spotless lamb. Jesus could have no sin and pay for the sins of humanity. And all of that preparation, those 30 years of Jesus' life, those 40 days in the wilderness preparing for that moment was a precursor for when he would say yes to the cross so that we can put our faith in him. It was all preparation for that moment. And so I know I shared a quote with you at the beginning of this sermon that I love and that I live by. It's better to sweat in preparation than to bleed in battle. But I'll be honest with you, I don't think it applies to Jesus that way. I think if we were to change this quote to more aptly fit Jesus in this passage of scripture, it would say something like, Jesus sweat in preparation so that he could bleed in battle. Jesus was spending his entire life, the wilderness seasons, the, the seasons where he was learning and being taught, the seasons where his faith was being strengthened. He spent all of that time building up and being prepared for the moment when he would choose the cross to shed his blood for me and for you. All of that started back then in his life and it was really brought to a head right there in the wilderness. You see, the devil could not defeat Jesus in the wilderness. But that wasn't it. The devil could not defeat Jesus on the cross. That wasn't it. The devil could not even defeat him in the grave. And this gets better. The devil cannot defeat Jesus today. No matter what he threw at Jesus, it did not matter because he was not going to defeat God's power, Jesus's divinity in that moment. And the victory that we have in Jesus that we celebrate, that we will sing about next week for great reason. That victory would not have been possible if Jesus wouldn't have prevailed in the, in the wilderness. Because our victory was secured in the empty tomb, but it was prepared in the wilderness. And our victory, when we walk through those, those seasons where it feels like God's a billion miles away, our victory is secure. It is our opportunity to listen to the one who has secured our victory, to tune in and to tune out all of the noise of this world, to listen to the voice of God. If you find yourself there today, if you're in the wilderness, I can tell you God wants to speak to you. He's not far away from you. He is close to you. He wants you to recognize that in this season. And he wants to, to, to instill some things into your life because he knows what's coming up next. He knows what's around the next corner. And so if we choose to allow him to strengthen us, if we choose to allow him to teach us, if we choose to allow him to prepare us, then no devil in the world can defeat us, not because of who we are, but because he could not defeat Jesus Christ. And that is where our faith is. That is where our eternity is secured. And so we put our faith in him knowing that the victory is ours because he secured that victory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.